0: The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 53 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 49, Mine is the Power. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, art by John Buscema, and letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in February of 1968. Starting off with our cover, I really, really like Magneto in the background there. It is very cool. The little strings coming off his fingers, like he's a puppet master, is just brilliant. His facial expressions, the blue tints, it's all really cool. I like the way Scarlet Witch looks. I think it's a very on-model, good-looking Scarlet Witch. Quick. Silver, on the other hand looks a little bit off to me, and it took me a few minutes before I realized it almost looks like his shoulder his. it looks like it's actually dislocated. Something about the way his body position is, holding Scarlet Witch, that shoulder just doesn't quite look right, and it throws me a little bit. Otherwise, I think this is a really spectacular cover, and I think it is not necessarily overtly descriptive of the interior content, but certainly evokes the sentiment of what's going on. With magneto as the puppet master getting to our opening splash page typically i like colored backgrounds over white backgrounds in this case though it just seems a little odd and i don't think it really fits all that much additionally there's just way way too much wording on this opening panel you know you've got the issue title the opening title at the top you've got the credits which are fairly standard stuff. You've got three speech bubbles, and then you've got three very large editorial and narration bubbles, and they're just unnecessary, and they take up room for what could be otherwise really good art. That's not to say the art isn't good, but it's bogged down by this extra stuff but we pick up this issue with Hercules on Olympus trying to figure out what has happened to all of the various gods of Olympus. And as we follow Hercules for a couple of panels, suddenly his path is blocked by a giant flame, and from that flame appears Typhon. Now, in Greek mythology, Typhon is the personification of volcanic forces. He's a, a monster, the son of Gaia and Tartarus, and he is the father of Cerberus, the Hydra, and the Commander. Chim- Era. generally speaking he is portrayed as a monster and he was cast into the underworld by Zeus in this case typhon isn't a physical monster per se he is however monstrous in size dwarfing even Hercules but generally speaking he is kind of a a monster and a father of monsters in Greek mythology given some of the labors of Hercules and the general reputation of Hercules I think Typhon is actually a fairly fitting foe for Hercules to face. Although when Typhon appears, there are some really obnoxious, fairly annoying editor's notes here that try and reinforce the idea that, yes, this is an actual character out of Greek mythology. And although in 1968 they didn't have Google, they did have things like, you know, the good old-fashioned encyclopedia in which people can go look this up. So I still think the editor's note here is a little bit of overkill. But as Typhon appears... And confronts Hercules, we get a flashback to what has happened to the gods of Olympus. So we get we get a very old flashback to when Zeus cast Typhon from Olympus into the Underworld. And I like this because it reminds me a lot of Odin casting out Executioner. And as we see a little bit later, the weapon Typhon is holding is frequently referred to as his battle axe. It looks nothing like an axe. To me, it's a lot closer to a hammer, like maybe Mjolnir or Stormbreaker. But even then, it's kind of wonky. But Zeus casting out Typhon, again, Zeus and Odin being of a similar place in their pantheon of gods and Typhon and Executioner are kind of holding similar places both being armed with various powerful ceremonial axes it just evoked that same image we saw all those issues ago. So, after Typhon is cast out, many, 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 many many, 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 many years later, Typhon is able to sneak back to Olympus, enters the Temple of the Promethean Flame, and destroys the flame with his battle axe. As we later find out, the Promethean Flame is, is really more absorbed into the axe, but as a result, the gods disappear. Because, again, the Promethean Flame is tied to their god's life so without the flame the gods can't live and the panel of the gods disappearing is one of my favorite from this issue i love the blue hues that they use for it and i love how the gods are almost done in a kirby crackle dash dotted kind of style i think it really effectively demonstrates what's happening to the gods as they slowly ebb from existence As Typhon relays what happened, Hercules is so overcome by the reality of what has happened that he collapses on the steps in front of Typhon. And I I really enjoy this. I really appreciate this because, again, Hercules being this character of extremes, of extreme passions, it just, it fits the character so perfectly for him to be overcome with emotion like this and really unable to deal with it momentarily. And I also like the fact that Typhon kind of gives it to him. He actually allows him this moment to take in what has happened. In part, I think it's Typhon gloating. Look at the great son of Zeus, Hercules. Look how low I have brought him with just telling him what I've done. I haven't even done anything to him yet. All I've done is tell him A story of of my deeds, and look how it makes him weep, and it makes him fall to the steps. It's a really cool character moment. Now, back at Avengers Mansion, Goliath and Hawkeye are trying to figure out what to do, because Captain America has left the team, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch haven't been found yet, and Hercules is off doing his thing on Olympus. So right now, they're a three-member team, and Hawkeye is kind of thinking out loud what the rest of the team is thinking, but Goliath doesn't let him deal with it. Goliath refuses to accept what Hawkeye is putting out. Not only that, Goliath actually ends up getting in a fight with Wasp really over this. As they've been at Avengers Mansion working for quite a while, Wasp decides that she's gonna go out and get them some dinner. And Goliath gets on her case a bit about stepping away, about going out for a little bit. And and we see exactly how driven Goliath is right now. And although I don't think he's a particularly great team leader overall, I think here he's doing a really good job of driving and trying to keep the team focused. His interpersonal skills are somewhat lacking, so the effect is less than, say, if Captain America were trying to do this, but Goliath really is keeping his eye on the prize, and he's trying to bring his teammates along with him, and I can really appreciate that. Now, when we last saw the Maximovs, they were still Magneto's prisoners, and they were being taken away from Garrett Castle to an undisclosed location. And as we will find out here, this location is an island somewhere in the Atlantic that Magneto has claimed as his own. I'm a little curious if this island is also the same as Asteroid M and Utopia. Utopia and Asteroid M are definitely the same. I don't know if this island is the same as Asteroid M. I know there are times where Asteroid M has come back to Earth and gone back into space. I don't know if this is one of those times. But regardless, when and... Magneto and Toad and the Maximovs enter this island, there is this really impressive machinery device creation of Magnetos inside which he refers to as a magnetically induced perpetual motion machine. Obviously perpetual motion is a myth. It is physically impossible. It violates several laws of thermodynamics. However, it's always a cool science fiction concept and this is a very well executed visual conception of something. I could couldn't tell you what this was without the dialogue. I can tell you it looks really awesome, though. So, got that going for us. It's also worth noting here that although they are kind of his prisoners, the Maximovs at this point are no longer shackled no longer in imprisoned so to speak and Magneto really is trying to sway them to his side to his way of thinking and to an extent it works Pietro definitely agrees to some extent with what Magneto has to say here it really feels like Pietro is trying to find a way or a reason for him to kind of open the door and accept what Magneto is offering I I think he, they are very much trying to set up that Quicksilver honestly believes what Magneto is putting out, but that given everything he's been through and everything he's sworn to, being an Avenger and all, he isn't willing to fully commit yet. Scarlet Witch, on the other hand, is far less trusting. She really was never the trusting one of Magneto in the first place. Quicksilver was to a much larger extent, though he was frequently displeased with Magneto because Scarlet Witch was displeased. I also really wish that Scarlet Witch were a little bit more forceful here. Again, with her being the more unhappy of the pair while they were part of the Brotherhood of Mutants, I would think she would try and impress upon Quicksilver how much she doesn't want to go back to that life. Unfortunately, she really kind of follows Quicksilver's lead here, and although she doesn't really agree to anything, she certainly doesn't stand up for her own position, and I find that kind of disappointing. There is also something very Animal Farm-esque about what's going on here. As Magneto whispers kind of his aside to Toad, it's very clear that although Magneto wants to build this paradise, that he has no intention of this paradise being entirely egalitarian. There is definitely a sense that in Magneto's new universe, his new order, that some mutants are going to be more equal than others. It seems like he would like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch to be some of those more equal mutants, but if that's not the case, it's certainly not going to disappoint him too terribly, I think. Poor Toad, on the other hand, is just not going to be one of those mutants. He's too much of a yes-man, too much of a sycophant, and not nearly as useful. Also, in one of the panels, it looks like his face is melting the art looks really cool that just i feel like that would be unfortunate for toad if his face were melting like on top of everything else going on in his life and magneto treating him like dirt face melting just is kind of like insult to injury i guess really it's the other way around injury to insult magneto's doing a lot of insulting in order to prove that he really intends to just make peace with humans, and all he's looking for is safety for mutants. Magneto convinces Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver to use their Avengers access and allow him to address the United Nations. Now, I'm, I'm going to freely admit here, I don't really buy this part of the story. Even with two Avengers at his side, I have a hard time believing that the United Nations would just let one of the most wanted men in the world walk into the United Nations and address. The assembly. Now, to be fair, there's a little bit more going on than just that. However, it still seems like a bit of a stretch. Also, Magneto's actions when he gets to the United Nations don't really instill a whole lot of confidence. When he arrives, he gets confronted by a security guard and Magneto tosses the security guard around a little bit and everyone's super impressed that, oh, Magneto must be good because he didn't kill the man. Like, he still assaulted a security guard. That's not something good people do. Good on Magneto for not killing the guy, but if that's your metric, like I, I think you need to reevaluate your measuring system. On top of that, Magneto isn't just allowed to enter the chamber and address the United Nations, he breaks down the door and then uses it to levitate himself, Toad, and the Maximovs to the podium, at which point Magneto delivers his demands, and as much as Magneto is an over-the-top melodramatic villain, I've got to give him a lot of credit here. His demands, although they're never going to be met, are certainly very well thought out. Magneto demands a separate nation for mutants with full rights in the UN Security Council. So putting himself on an equal footing with the U.S., Great Britain, France, China, and Russia. Especially in the 1960s, that's the powerhouses. Those are the leading nations of the world. The five permanent members of the Security Council. Again, while I don't think anyone would ever agree to that, I also think that if you're going to play ball at this level, you might as well go for it. I mean, who knows? In order to get rid of Magneto, they might have been willing to acquiesce to his requests. As it turns out, we'll never really know because one of the members of the chamber stands up and demands that Magneto, Magneto be thrown out of the chamber, at which point Magneto uses the microphone as a projectile. There is an awesome panel of an arrow intercepting said microphone and of course that arrow is launched by none other than Hawkeye who swings in from somewhere it's a little unclear as to where to engage with Magneto but now of course the first thing Magneto does is attempt to use his magnetic powers on Hawkeye and specifically Hawkeye's costume but as it turns out Hawkeye's costume is made entirely of synthetic material all of it non-magnetic so Magneto's powers have no effect while that's kind of cool it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Magneto and the Avengers have only engaged one other very recently, and really it's not even been all of the Avengers. So I kind of wonder why Hawkeye has a ready-made suit tailored to fighting against Magneto, a villain which the Avengers have never faced off against and is generally not considered a Avengers villain. He's, a, he's an X-Men villain. Now, maybe the Avengers just have a whole lot of contingency plans worked out, but this is, you know, fairly early in Marvel Comics comparatively, fairly early in the history of the Avengers, at this point I don't really see them having contingency plans for kind of outside villains worked out yet, especially ones they've, they've literally never faced off against. Seems a little odd to me. While Hawkeye is wearing a suit and using equipment that is not magnetic, the security guards in the UN are wearing and using regular equipment. So Magneto is able to control the guns of several of the security guards and using his powers, fires off a round that grazes Scarlet Witch in the forehead. So at this point, Scarlet Witch is down and Quicksilver has been pushed over the edge. And we see the full extent, really, of Magneto's master plan. And this is what I was talking about on the cover when we kind of allude to Magneto pulling the strings. Magneto made it appear that Wanda is wounded by humans. So not only is Quicksilver sent into a rage over this, but it also sends his feelings over the edge with regards to humans, and it puts him at odds with his former teammates. In one action, Magneto has managed to accomplish multiple goals at the same time. Time. And as we look forward, Scarlet Witch's recovery is going to be somewhat challenging for her. And and she's gonna be in a kind of a confused, fuzzy mental state for a while, which leaves her easier to, to manipulate and causes Quicksilver to be far more distracted by her condition and not thinking as clearly in general. So he's a little bit more willing to accept Magneto's position. But as a result of everything that has happened, Quicksilver turns on any human he can find, primarily his Avengers teammates. He manages to stun both Hawkeye and Goliath and then makes his way out with Scarlet Witch in the company of Magneto and Toad. So after our, I guess, would-be villains leave, the Avengers are forced to go back to Avengers Mansion where really they're kind of deep in thought and sulking a bit. They've been defeated, their team has been split up, they saw one of their former teammates wounded. It's just been a a very bad day for the Avengers. And this is where we're going to leave them for the rest of this issue. And we will return back to Olympus and Hercules facing off against Typhon. So at this point, Typhon has decided that he's given Hercules enough time to accept what has happened to the gods of Olympus. And Typhon decides it's time for him to finish Hercules. So initially, Typhon takes a few swings at Hercules and then decides that instead of of facing him himself, he's going to summon a monster in order to fight Hercules. Again, Typhon is kind of a father of monsters, so a very fitting choice. Now, I don't really recognize this monster. It looks kind of like a gorilla with horns, or it reminds me a little bit of the great ape form of the Saiyans from Dragon Ball Z. I've been watching a lot of Dragon Ball lately, so that's kind of been on my mind. But it is a a large ape-like creature, and although it's big and strong, again, Hercules, who is a a notorious fighter and killer of monsters, pretty easily wipes the floor with this creature. And at one point, Hercules actually has him by the mouth and the eye. And I was kind of waiting for him to like rip the creature's jaw off and beat the creature with it. Like, beat the creature with his own jaw. I then realized I was still in the Silver Age and immediately remembered that wasn't going to happen. But it certainly, for a moment, to me, felt like that's exactly where this was going. At any rate, With the creature destroyed, Typhon decides it's time to stop screwing around. And instead of fighting Hercules further, Typhon simply uses his battle axe and its powers to cast Hercules into a really a land of shadows, if you will, where we will find out that the gods of Olympus have been banished to, though that revelation will actually wait for next issue. So our issue ends with Typhon sitting triumphantly on the throne of Olympus. So right now things are not looking all too amazing for our heroes. Overall I think this is a really great issue. There are a few plot points I would say that that bug me. The whole going to address the UN thing just feels kind of off. But outside of that, I think Magneto's handling of the situation and how persuasive he is and manipulative he is are brilliantly done in this issue, especially the manipulation. In one very brief, very quick act, Magneto is able to accomplish so much and undermine the Avengers so dramatically. It's really even hard to quantify because... Not only has he removed Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver from, from play for the Avengers for the foreseeable future, but he did so at a time when those characters are probably needed most, and the team is just further and further fracturing. It's, a, it's really quite an impressive move. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 50 to tame a Titan. All right. Hey. All right. Good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried Shwarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.